Hello everyone, I'm James Liu and this is the JPGN podcast for July 2009. This podcast will outline selected articles from this month's issue of the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. For more information and to access the complete articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspagan.org. Our first article is a review entitled Intestinal Stem Cells by Garrison et al. The epithelial cell lining of the gastrointestinal tract is the most rapidly proliferating tissue in the body. The constant state of renewal of differentiated epithelial cells is sustained by a continual supply of progeny from multipotent progenitors that originate from stem cells located within the intestinal crypts. In addition to supporting normal epithelial homeostasis, intestinal stem cells are thought to play an important role in the rapid expansion of the gut during development, tissue regeneration following injury or surgical loss, and malignancy. Due to the lack of specific intestinal stem cell markers required to isolate and characterize these cells, our current knowledge of the biology of intestinal stem cells results largely from indirect measures of their behavior published over the past 40 years. The recent description of several potential intestinal stem cell markers and the use of transgenic mice both as a tool to lineage trace and to isolate specific cells expressing these markers has provided a tremendous advancement to our current understanding of these cells. This brief review will provide a general historical overview of our understanding of intestinal stem cells and the tools currently available to study their behavior in the context of normal and pathological conditions, as well as potential future clinical applications that may result from this exciting area of research. Our next article is entitled, Effect of Maternal Diabetes on Postnatal Development of Brush Border Enzymes and Transport Functions in Rat Intestine by Sharma et al. Aloxan-induced maternal diabetes was studied on the postnatal development of brush border enzymes in the rat intestine. There was no change in gestational period in both the control and diabetic groups, but the litter size was reduced in the diabetic group compared to the control group. Analysis of the brush border enzymes showed elevated levels of lactase, sucrose, maltase, trihalase, alkaline phosphatase, and leucine aminopeptidase up to 21 days of postnatal age in the diabetic group compared to controls. However, in 30 to 45 day old animals, the enzyme levels were either reduced or there was no change in the diabetic group compared to the controls. Furthermore, the intestinal uptake of D-glucose and glycine was significantly high in the diabetic group at 45 days after birth. These findings indicate that aloxan-induced maternal diabetes influences the postnatal development of intestine and the expression of various brush border enzymes and transport functions in rat. This could affect the growth and development of the offspring during the postnatal period. Our next article is entitled, Bilirubin Impairs Intestinal Regrowth Following Massive Small Bowel Resection in a Rat by Sukotnik et al. This study aims to evaluate the effects of exogenous bilirubin on a rat model of short bowel syndrome. A group of rats were given intraperitoneal bilirubin after 75% bowel resection. In comparison, the control groups did not receive bilirubin after either bowel transection with reanastomosis or 75% small bowel resection. 
Liver function and intestinal adaptation parameters were then monitored. Those rats receiving intraperitoneal bilirubin demonstrated inhibition of structural intestinal adaptation as well as increased cell proliferation with decreased apoptosis in the small bowel, as compared to rats undergoing small bowel resection without bilirubin. The authors conclude that in a rat model of short bowel syndrome, exogenous bilirubin inhibits structural intestinal adaptation. Increased cell proliferation and decreased apoptosis may be considered as adaptive mechanisms that maintain cell mass. Our next article is entitled Isolation, Identification, and Characterization of Small Bioactive Peptides from Lactobacillus GG Conditional Media that Exert Both Anti-Gram-Negative and Gram-Positive Bactericidal Activity by Lou et al. Probiotics, including Lactobacillus GG, or LGG, are known to have a beneficial effect on diarrheal diseases, but their mechanism of action has not yet been completely established. The objective of this study was to identify and characterize moieties elaborated by LGG that exert antibacterial activity. LGG conditional media was subjected to liquid chromatography and mass spectrometry. The identified peptides were synthesized using a peptide synthesizer and purified by high-performance liquid chromatography. They identified seven small peptides from LGG-cultured media. Two of these peptides, NPSRQERR and PDENK, retained the antibacterial activity detected with LGG conditional media. The antibacterial activity was exerted against both gram-negative and, with less potency, against gram-positive bacteria. In summary, LGG elaborates small peptides showing various degrees of antibacterial activity with NPSRQERR having the most potent activity. These synthetic peptides may represent novel tools for the treatment of bacterial infectious diseases. Our next article is entitled Epithelial Functions of the Residual Bowel After Surgery for Necrotizing Enterocolitis in Human Infants by Chart et al. Information on epithelial functions of the residual small or colonic bowel after resection for necrotizing enterocolitis in human infants is scarce. The aim of this study was to evaluate epithelial functions in the intestinal margins of collected tissue after bowel resection for acute neck and subsequent stoma closure. Epithelial morphology, proliferation, and protein expression were immunohistochemically studied. The results demonstrated that acute neck was associated with severe to mild epithelial damage, ranging from epithelial loss to fairly unaffected epithelium. Epithelial proliferation was increased both in acute neck and at stoma closure. In acute neck, Lactase, glucose transporter 2, and glucose transporter 5 expression were downregulated in severely affected epithelium. Sucrase isomaltase and intestinal fatty acid binding protein expression was maintained. There was decreased expression of mucin 2 and trefoil factor 3 by goblet cells. Also, in acute neck, paneth cells were less in number and weakly lysozyme positive. At stoma closure, expression of the above cell type specific markers had completely been re-established. In conclusion, residual bowel after resection for acute necrotizing enterocolitis shows a disturbed epithelial proliferation differentiation balance. Acute neck is associated with downregulation of distinct enterocyte specific proteins. 
due to goblet cell and panda cell loss in acute neck, mucosal barrier and defense functions may be impaired. Our next article is entitled Age and Sex-Related Reference Ranges of Alanine Aminotransferase Levels in Children by England et al. Serum ALT levels are commonly used to indicate liver damage. However, ALT levels may not be sensitive in detecting individuals with minimal to mild liver disease as their ALT levels may be quote-unquote normal. Recently, adult normal reference ranges of ALT were revised, and upper limits of normality were reset lower. However, current pediatric reference ranges for ALT remain unclear. The authors of this study used hepatitis C uninfected children who were born to HCV-infected mothers from the European Pediatric HCV Network as their healthy study population. Their ALT levels were prospectively collected from birth, and linear regression was used to identify factors associated with ALT levels while accounting for within-child repeated measurements. The authors found that ALT levels decreased with increasing age, and girls had significantly lower ALT levels than boys. The 95th percentile before 18 months of age was 60 units per liter for boys and 55 units per liter for girls, which decreased to 40 units per liter and 35 units per liter, respectively, after 18 months of age. This was a unique investigation of ALT levels in healthy children. Two findings were highlighted by the authors of this study. Number one, a lower, more detailed range of normality for ALT levels is seen in healthy children. And number two, age and sex significantly affect ALT reference ranges in healthy children. Our next article is entitled, Prevalence of Subclinical Vitamin K Deficiency in Cholestatic Liver Disease by Stropel et al. Prothrombin time, or PT, is a surrogate marker of vitamin K deficiency, but may underestimate the prevalence of vitamin K deficiency in cholestatic liver disease. This study looked at the frequency of vitamin K deficiency in children and adults with cholestatic liver disease by determining plasma PIVCA2, or protein-induced in vitamin K absence 2 and assessed the relationship between PIVCA2 levels and markers of cholestasis, PT, INR, undercarboxylated osteocalcin, and vitamins A, D, and E levels. 31 subjects were enrolled, ages ranging from 0.5 to 54 years, and the median age was 5.7 years. Nine subjects had increased INRs, while 21 had elevated PIVCA2 levels. All patients with increased INRs had increased PIVCA2 levels. 15 of the 21 patients with increased PIVCA2 were on supplemental vitamin K therapy. Plasma PIVCA2 levels were positively correlated with serum conjugated bilirubin, bile acids, AST, ALT, PT, INR, and undercarboxylated osteocalcin. PIVCA2 levels were negatively correlated with serum 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels. 22 subjects had vitamin D deficiency, 9 had vitamin A deficiency, and 2 had vitamin E deficiency. Despite vitamin K supplementation, elevation of PIVCA2 suggesting ongoing vitamin K deficiency is common in cholestatic liver disease. Better strategies for vitamin K supplementation and dosing guidelines are needed. Our next article is entitled, 
Enterylglutamine and or arginine supplementation have favorable effects on oxidative stress parameters in neonatal rat intestine by Cool et al. The objective of this study was to investigate the effects of enterylglutamine and arginine supply on lipid peroxidation and antioxidant enzyme levels in the small intestine of healthy breastfed rats. 40 neonate rats born to five mother rats were used. They were randomly divided into four groups. The groups received one of the following, only breast milk, breast milk and oral glutamine, breast milk and oral arginine, and breast milk with glutamine and arginine. Malondialdehyde levels, as well as glutathione peroxidase and superoxide dismutase activities were measured. The lowest malondialdehyde levels were found in the group receiving breast milk and glutamine. Superoxide dismutase activity was found to be significantly higher in this same group than with breast milk alone. Glutathione peroxidase activity was highest in the group with breast milk, glutamine, and arginine. Also, this activity was significantly higher in the groups with glutamine than in any of those groups without it. In summary, enterylglutamine alone and or with arginine had favorable effects on oxidative stress, not only in experimental models of hypoxia reoxygenation and nitric oxide, but also in healthy newborn rats. Our next article is a special feature entitled Breastfeeding, a position paper by the Espigan Committee on Nutrition by Agostoni et al. This position paper by the European Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition summarizes the current status of breastfeeding practice, the present knowledge on the composition of human milk, advisable duration of exclusive and partial breastfeeding, growth of the breastfed infant, health benefits associated with breastfeeding, nutritional supplementation for breastfed infants, and contraindications to breastfeeding. This position paper emphasizes the important role of pediatricians in the implementation of health policies devised to promote breastfeeding. The Espigan Committee on Nutrition recognizes breastfeeding as the natural and advisable way of supporting the healthy growth and development of young children. This paper delineates the health benefits of breastfeeding, reduced risk of infectious diarrhea and acute otitis media being the best documented. Exclusive breastfeeding for around six months is a desirable goal, but partial breastfeeding, as well as breastfeeding for shorter periods of time, are also valuable. Continuation of breastfeeding after the introduction of complementary feeding is encouraged as long as mutually desired by mother and child. The role of healthcare workers, including pediatricians, is to protect, promote, and support breastfeeding. Healthcare workers should be trained in breastfeeding issues and counseling, and they should encourage practices that do not undermine breastfeeding. Societal standards and legal regulations that facilitate breastfeeding should be promoted, such as providing maternity leave for at least six months and protecting working mothers. Our final abstract this month is a short communication entitled, Defensins are differentially expressed with respect to the anatomic region in the upper gastrointestinal tract of children by Vordenbaumann et al. Defensins are antimicrobial peptides expressed on various epithelial surfaces. Although they are believed to contribute to intestinal homeostasis, their expression pattern in children is not well characterized. As determined by real-time PCR, 
amounts of alpha defensins 5 and 6 mRNA in duodenal biopsies were significantly higher than in biopsies taken from the gastral mucosa. On the contrary, expression of beta defensins 1 and 2 mRNA showed a significantly higher expression in the stomach. Expression of beta defensins 3 and 6 were inconsistently detected. These results suggest a distinct role for various defensins in host defense in the upper gastrointestinal tract of children. This concludes the JPGN podcast for July 2009. The executive producer is Daniel Gelfond. The editor-in-chief of JPGN is Eric Sibley. The JPGN podcast is recorded by the Pediatric GI Fellows of Stanford University. For more information and to access the full articles, please visit us online at www.jpgn.org or visit our society webpage at www.naspagan.org. I'm James Liu. Thank you.